How often do you see a movie that stays with you and leaves you questioning the way you approach every second of your life? Probably not super often. But I saw one like that called Old, which is coming out July 23rd in theaters, written and directed by the one and only M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, M. Knight is our guest on the podcast today. We also have a second group of guests. We have Vanessa Block and Michael Sarnowski, who are the creative team behind Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. So that's the back half of this episode. So we've got a two for one, all great filmmakers, really, really fun talking to them. But first, we're going to talk about old, and we're going to talk to M. Knight. You know who he is. He burst on the scene with one of the great cinema twists of all time. He's made a bunch of movies since then that have really gone all over the map in terms of genre. He's a unique voice, an auteur of a kind, and I'm fascinated by the choices he makes in regards to what he tells his audience and when. That's one of the things I definitely wanted to get into with him because I think it applies to all filmmakers. There are so many things he does we can learn from. He talks about his choice of medium. He talks about directing actors through some very complicated, unique circumstances. And he talks about film and celluloid. And he talks about writing and framing and everything. All the good stuff. So here we go. Thank you so much for doing this. I enjoyed the movie so much, and thank you for helping me spend the last few days since I saw it. Appreciate <laughs> every little moment I have, <laughs> because if there's one thing that movie really does, it's a highlight that we have limited time. And I kind of wanted to start asking you about that specifically. There's a line that really struck me later on where he says, I can't remember why we wanted to leave this beach. And I'm curious if that and that idea of, of, of valuing the time we do have was core to your approach to the whole story and to what you were trying to convey through these characters. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that the, uh, the audience, I think when, when he says that, I've seen this movie with the audience and when, they, when he says that line, there's this like murmur that moves through everyone, kind of like laughter and, and sweetness, <laughs> but kind of like, um, huh. It's almost like we misunderstood that this was a thriller. Did we, you know, <laughs> why do why do we make our life a thriller? You know, yes. why, why is there so much fear at, at chasing us all the time? That's exactly, um, no, I don't want to keep going. Keep saying. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's what I, you know, we're, we're so driven by fear. And it, I, I, sometimes I just feel like life is so much easier than we make it out to be. So, Am I correct then? Because I kind of, I was walking out of the movie and I started thinking, I was like, we're never getting off this beach, are we? <laughs> <laughs> nope, not this beach. We're all, we're, all, we're all on this one together. We're stuck here. <laughs> and, I, and I did, I think you're absolutely right, obviously. I think it's like, wait, this is, is this a thriller? Is life a thriller? Like, how does this work? What are we running from? Like, it's all going so fast. And that's the the crazy thing because you set it up like it's one thing, like they're going to escape. But then you realize in that moment, I think like they're, they're truly in a sense is none. The other thing that, you know, it feels like 
also the story is just a massive tragedy in the sense that that these this, what happens to these people is they are going through all these stages of grief basically and all these yeah. insane life stages did you how do i i guess how do i ask this you've got children playing various ages you've got yes. how do you direct people through childbirth loss loss mm. of someone who you deeply love mm. but you also just met but you've been through it like can you tell us a little bit about working with all these actors through yeah. these intense sequences? Yeah, it was it was the ba- the think the thing that you're asking me about it was it was a tricky thing in rehearsals that I was trying to make them aware of. I said this is a very unusual premise because I'm, I'm you're not allowed to fixate on any one aspect of it because it's moving too fast for you. So the something horrific you're looking at is happening in the midst of something larger that's happening to you that you don't understand. Something that's even larger is happening beyond <laughs> that. So you, you do give it some time, but you're, you're, you're distracted. You're still thinking about the other thing is you're starting to lose your mind. It's spinning. The plates are spinning too fast for you. So please give me that multiple plate spinning thing in everything that you're encountering. Don't just, <laughs> it isn't just this person's having a heart attack. That's not, that's not the only thing you, right. about. you, you haven't even recovered from this thing. Right. I mean, and that, so somehow you pulled it off um, and so did this talent, but I can only imagine how hard it is to get, to, to find the take of something that doesn't exist elsewhere. Like you can't, like you just said, you can't just say like, oh, you just lost someone you love or, oh, you're just dealing with a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You have to say you're dealing with this, but also you're in a body that you're not used to right now. Yes. yes. <laughs> or yeah. also you like just matured like, uh, you know, 10 years and your and, and your talent, like they seem to find that. So how did you limit the conversation with everybody to just get <laughs> to these to these points? Like, how did you how did you hone in? I, you know, we often had times of like, hey, don't don't come up with an answer that's talking down to the audience. And then in general, we don't want to do that, right? In art, you don't want to give an answer, you know, just pose the question. So constantly posing questions of, I don't know how to react to this. And what did you just say? Oh, my children look like this. Question, question, question. And and that that movement between when you're trying to come up with a thought, that's what I want to capture. So just as you're struggling, that struggle is the thing that's so beautiful, that spinning that's going on. So we talked a lot about that in that one that one shot that we did in the uh, where everyone loses their mind in the in that you know uh, and the, the pregnancy thing and then that that that, that big yes. wonder and they all kind of go crazy. Um, it was difficult to watch and they had we had pitched it to to a point at that point with rehearsals that they got this they that it's valid to try, should we all talk about what's happening? You, you, you're not, there's no ground anymore. You've lost your right, ground right. and you know, you, you're going to, you, your old tools for managing are gone. You know, you, you, you talk about something there about how you interact with the audience. That is something I also really want to ask you about. You have, you know, your career, there's been so many instances of using tension, creating tension in a thriller between an audience, the knowledge the audience has, the knowledge the characters have, you know, and mm-hmm. that's very Hitchcockian, you know, and it's a lot of similarities. And I'm sure you're aware of it. It's like, what, how do you decide as a writer director yeah. what you will give the audience 
and when. Because there's some things, and this movie is a great example of it again, you are very careful to not give them certain things until a certain point. But then you give it to them before you give it to some of the characters. And mm-hmm. a lot of things we learn with the characters. And, yeah. you know, this is one of the, the keys to, to great tension in filmmaking. But I'm curious, like for our audience at least, like how do you make those decisions? Like what do, they, what do people need to know when? Well, how do you decide to parse it out? It's a, it's a great question. It's, a, it's I assume it's a, just a gut a gut feeling about, hey, I'm putting the characters on the margins of the frame and I'm not letting you see what they look like now. But there's something odd about the way they're framed. And, and, and they're, in my mind, that's what they're feeling. They're like, I'm feeling odd. Like the children feel odd, right? So they're, but <laughs> they're, they're, they know something's wrong. They're kind of, it's on the verge of understanding that they're changing, but they don't have it. And so by, by marginalizing them, that you, you get that feeling. Another example would be the same kind of thing. I'm looking at two characters dread dead on, but I'm marginalizing the two children that have changed and, and keeping them teasing you. You're teasing you. I'm by teasing you. I'm telling you they've changed by not showing right. you. I'm screaming that they've changed. So you're kind <laughs> of you're waiting and waiting for me to show show you them. So it's a little bit of like I'm gonna get 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 to this. Hold on one second. Yes. Hold yes. On one second. We know that's coming, and we're like, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, and without getting into further reveals, there's even other things. You know, another question is: I know you shot during the pandemic, yeah. right? So so that was going on. And, and even as we've, we're coming out of the pandemic, in some ways, there's a climate crisis that's kind of bubbling. There's this yeah. feeling in this movie of like, are we going to be able to work together or are we going to destroy ourselves? How do we handle this? We're, tra- we're trapped in this situation. Was that filtering into your and, and your team's thought process or is that just the magic of this is when we're shooting? Like, how much do you see this as a, as a metaphor beyond just like life and grief and death, but mm. just kind of things happening in the world? Or is that just did that just happen? You know, I think, you know, it was meant to be what what struck me about it was that it was about our dysfunctional relationship to time. And it so happens that it, that manifested out in a pandemic um, yes. at this moment. But because it's so ubiquitous, our dysfunctional relationship to time, it would have manifested in some uh, some other form, not quite as literal as a pandemic, but we're, we're not healthy the way we think about time. And so it w- it's going to keep popping up. It's going to keep popping up. We're, we can't keep going like this. So we're, we're going to keep looking around and going, wow, we're zombies on our phone. We're doing all this stuff. We're not present. And so it, it felt like something I was struggling with, but obviously it wasn't something that I was only relating to me as a human being. I think many of us are struggling with that moment. So it has all of this I, I didn't I, realize we were going to screen the movie at the end of the pandemic as it's coming out. So. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody's trying to take advantage of the moment more now. I, honestly, there is this weird chilling thing of like, I might look up from my phone one day and my kids could be 16. It seems yes. like that the metaphor of that is very powerful. Um, really and is. that's what I mean, this movie is. I mean, we I, we I was joking about it with someone else that we look at our phone and it tells you, you spent three and a half hours or four hours on your phone every day last week. There's no way I spent four hours <laughs> on this phone, but you did. It just went like, <laughs> yes, you, it's, you, it, you, you spent a work week on this phone, just, just doing this on your phone. Yes. What? Yes, I know it's, it's chilling and it's, and it's powerful in that respect. There's this beautiful, also another moment I, I want to ask about. Um, I know the original, the, the piece it's based on is called Sandcastle. At that moment, when at, towards the end, and, and he just says, 
but first can we build a sandcastle? There was something <laughs> about that that was really like, again, it kind of hammered in this idea that like, okay, yeah, 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 struggle. We're going to fight the time, but can we just enjoy something here for a second? That uh, uh, I don't know how intentional it was, but again, just kind of like psh, broke right through. That was for me, you know, I tried to, you know, in, in the cinema language of it all, I was using a lot of this kind of, we were very much inspired by Australian new wave movies like Walkabout and Picnic at Hanging Rock, the way they they used zooms and movement of that time period to talk about the essence of nature. And in that scene there, the sandcastle scene, there's all these zooms and movements. And it's, it was a, our way of saying they're losing they're losing their sense of time. In oh a, in yeah, in the way. moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I, I before they before we wrap, I gotta ask. Shot on thirty five, right? Yeah. Yeah. I in the first minutes was so struck by, I was like, God, this is beautiful in this way that I haven't seen in a while. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. Tell me about the decision to shoot 35 and how you utilized it. You know, I always want to shoot in 35. It's costlier. (laughs) It's more dangerous. It's cumbersome. You know, when I was making, started making The Visit and these movies, I make them for so small that the, you know, adding that extra money and cumbersomeness and difficulty. And there's so few crew members that even know how to load a camera and how to take care of it. All that stuff, it feel it felt extravagant for mm. the way I was making movies. But this one, I tested everything on that beach and I and I don't like the way digital conveys nature. I think that it create it stops us from feeling something inherent about nature. I don't know what it is. It's an ineffable thing. And and film, maybe because it's chemical process and it's organic. It's capturing something, the essence of water and movement and the essence of the beach and all of these sand. You know, it, 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 I feel what it's like to be out there more through that kind of granular, limited lens. It's allowing me to see what's important. I don't know how else to say it, but that's I, what I felt. I, it's temporal. It's, it is a temporal yeah. in its nature. So it was a perfect match. Uh, so thank you for making that choice and for yeah. making the movie and for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Good talking to you. You too, man. Thanks to M. Night for coming on. Thanks for listening. Old, in theaters, July 23rd. Check it out. I am pretty certain anybody who sees it will walk away wondering how much time they have and what they are doing with the time they have in their lives because it's super limited and it's chilling how aware you become after watching it. Moving on to Pig. Now, Pig, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was so excited it just grabbed me immediately. It's strange. It's weird. I had no idea what the hell was going on. Is it John Wick, but his pig gets stolen and it's Nicolas Cage and I'm in. Like I was in 100% immediately. Really enjoyable film. The filmmakers have a great story and I'll let them tell it. But Michael and Vanessa worked together, got to know each other in college, developed this idea and really put their shoulders to the grindstone knows the grinds. They really made this thing happen. Um, They manifested it. And there are some things that went their way to help, obviously, Nicolas Cage, and they have some amazing insights into working with him and how that came about. But this is a great story for filmmakers because they fucking did it. And so it's fun to hear from people who went out there and did it. And it's like, it's out there and people are seeing it and it's great. It's getting amazing reviews. So you'll definitely want to see that as well. It's already in theaters.
thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, it's really exciting to have both of you. You know, I, thank you. I, I, this is exciting for us. I love no film school. That's where I go to get all my gear news. So, Oh, that's awesome. I, you know, yeah, sometimes filmmakers know about us or have had time using us or have read the site before. And so sometimes when somebody gives us a little more time, I'm always thinking, I wonder if this guy knows or if this team knows. <laughs> like, so, so it's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. As you know, then no film school is primarily, you know, we're educational. We try to be for filmmakers, by filmmakers, and we try to get at some of the, you know, what, what, how people get where they are or do what they do. Where there's, I really like the movie and I want to talk about it, but I want to start by just saying this is a really feature debut. What brought you guys to this? We'll talk specifically about the story and where that came from. But like the journey to having this feature happen. Yeah, Vanessa, Career you want to take, take that yeah, one? Yeah, girl, really I can start. You can jump in, Em. But um, I mean, we were traveling down very <laughs> disparate paths initially. So we met in college. I was pursuing. I was getting my degree in chemistry, studying to be a physician. Michael's pursuing art and film. I always had a strong creative drive and interest. So I was writing screenplays just as a hobby and as an escape from the monotony of my science studies and always hoped and sort of fantasized that I'd be a physician who wrote screenplays on the side. That's, um, always, that's how many hours in the day are you going to set aside to be able to write screenplays and be a physician? Very bold. <laughs> Somehow I figured out how to how to do that for a period of time. It was, it was actually funny. One of the first scripts that I wrote, I literally wrote during finals week and I had no business writing a script. I should have been studying, but I didn't. So that that should have been my indicator of where my my true passion was. But um, we actually ended up our, our paths crossed in our in my last year uh, at Yale. And we met through the making of this tiny little short film that, that Michael was doing. And I had heard about it from a friend and really wanted to get more involved in the film scene. And so we met through that and it, very early on in the process, it was clear that our skills were additive and we had a great creative alchemy. And so we became fast friends. And then, you know, life takes you down different paths. Michael went to LA to pursue film. I was still on the medical school track. Um, and all of this culminated in my decision to make a documentary about sexual violence against women in the Congo. So I was getting my master's in global medicine at the time. I was really focusing my study about around this uh, rape crisis in the Congo and decided that a doc was this wonderful marriage of my interest in this issue, which has its roots in sort of science and the medical community alongside the creative endeavor. So the film was born and I went to Michael and I was like, hey, do you want to be involved in this? And he came on board to edit and exec produce. And that was really the first legitimate project that we worked on together in, a, in an intensely creative capacity. And the film was really successful. And it was just clear that it was a partnership worth continuing. And that all led us to this moment of making Pig. So you wrote the, the script you wrote when you were studying for the finals. What turned out better, the script or the final exam that you took? 
I'm just curious. How did they, which how did they both yeah. turn out equally badly? Which one did better? That's an amazing question. I mean, I don't know. From my perspective, they do, the, the script turned out pretty well. The finals went went great, and that's how I was able to so keep it worked. Past, but it actually worked out. So hey, maybe I could be doing both today. But I felt like I had to step fully into one field um, in earnest, and so I did that. And I'm much happier pursuing film than I was in the sciences. And now, yeah, and I want to, like, I was just, I, I wanted to ask that because as soon as you said that, I was like, I'm really curious how those two things turned out in comparison to one another, but independently. But so, Michael, what was the short that you were doing? And tell me about uh, your path to that short and then how Vanessa got involved. I want to know, go back to yeah, that so point that, in the story. I, I was kind of, for a long time, I'm from Wisconsin originally, and uh, I adore my family, but they were not cinephiles at all. And so the idea of, I always loved film and it was always kind of a hobby for me, but I I never really thought there was a way to to kind of get there as a career. So even in college, this was kind of my last year of college as well. And, and that was honestly like the first time I ever tried to do something with a crew and by crew, I mean, someone else was holding the camera. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was very much, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not recommending people go out and watch it because it's very much a learning experience, but it was, it was fun to sort of, that was the first time I felt that kind of synergy of like a a cast and crew family. And, and it was, it was a little zombie short and yeah, it just kind of weirdly came together. And it was just, I finally met a bunch of other people that were passionate about film and, and it was a nice experience in that way. And that was kind of the first moment where I was like, Oh, this, this maybe is something that maybe I should consider pursuing it more because I really do like it. And I can't imagine what else I would want to do, but I didn't really have any connections to the industry. I, I didn't have any family or friends that knew anyone. So I kind of just came out to LA being like, ah, help me. Somewhere. Wow. Uh, what did you do when you got here? Like, what was the first thing? I, I was and, doing like, did, just did, a lot did of people like, in your life say you're crazy for doing this. Was it like one of those situations to my family's credit? My mom has always been, you know, she's terrified for me as a, as a mother being like, are you going to starve to death? But she was always very supportive and kind of knew she also had no idea how this would turn out, but she always kind of knew that this was something I needed to pursue and that I really wanted to do art related things. And, and so, it, I mean, honestly, it was just a very slow process. And, and yeah, the, the documentary was kind of the first moment where we did something that people noticed, but, you know, it was shooting a lot of little shorts and just kind of being like, what does anyone want to see? And, and it took me a while to, I mean, really pig was that moment where I wrote something where I wasn't trying to kind of please other people or do something that I thought maybe someone would give us money to do. It, it was really just, I want to write something that feels very personal and feels doable. It's small enough that it's doable. And Pig kind of, you know, we had tried a couple other scripts and we were experimenting with stuff, but Pig was that first one that people seemed to really respond to. And and that was that was really exciting. And then it kind of just snowballed from there as producers got interested. And then obviously when Nick got interested. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back before we get too far ahead into the storyline of Pig. It feels like Pig happened relatively early on in just the filmmaking process career for you guys so this is like a a lot happening suddenly but you just said something really cool for the first time we're trying to do something that felt honest or personal and not for someone else and wow look look at what happens when you do that so can you guys tell me about like i kept thinking early on i was like i wonder where this creatively came from you know where did you guys because i've heard so far i haven't heard anything in either of your stories that's about you know culinary world or Portland or so tell me about where but this is feels very personal and very grounded in something real so now I I'm 
just fascinated to know, like, where did this story come from for you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were a few things for me. Uh, initially, it was, I I loved that idea of this old man isolated in the woods with his pig. There was something that kind of spoke to my soul <laughs> about that. Like, something just was inherently intriguing about it. The world of truffles that kind of we're all peripherally aware of, but there's a lot of room for exploration there, was exciting to me. And then personally for me, it, it really came from, I had kind of gotten to this place in my life where when I was a, a, a kid, my dad had passed away and I had sort of seen what it had done to my family, not in the immediate time, but in the long term of how people had kind of shaped their worlds around this loss and how they had changed, how they kind of interacted with other people and reality based on that, and also seeing it in myself. So I kind of wanted to do a, a script that explored the long-term effects of grief and, and how it shapes our perception of the world and how we interact with people. So those two things just kind of married together. And as far as food stuff, it, it sort of before naturally you, evolved from the... Before, you, before oh. you move on from that into the food, I think also like from a character perspective, and it just speaks so much to what we're all experiencing right now in the world. I feel like the world is being torn apart at the seams by this kind of differentiation of pain that everyone, you know, has experienced and stories of trauma. And I think the necessity for us all to come together in the realization that we really do share in the universality of painful experiences, traumas of our own kind is really important. And so, you know, the final meal in the film where those three men sit around a table, each spoilers, spoilers. Um, <laughs> There's a meal in the film. <laughs> At some point in the film, maybe there's food. I feel like I'm very unclear out of what point any of this stuff is coming out. So I'm just going to go for it and people can... can Assume it's coming out before anyone sees the movie. And, and the idea of these three men coming together at the end of the film and sharing a meal is really symbolic, I think, of what we need to start doing, which is wow. kind of seeing one another in the complexity of our experiences uh, and the pain of that experience, know, knowing that it's, it's, uh, it's universal. I think trauma and loss, it's weirdly one of the things, you know, pain is the thing that we allow to divide us the most, yet it is also the thing that, that is kind of unifying for us and, and universal. Like we all have to cope with the fact that we are going to die and all the people we love are going to die, not to be a downer. And somehow we allow that to be a thing that separates us when really it should be a thing that unites us. So let's yeah. talk about our mortality. <laughs> so yeah, I, I will. Yeah. <laughs> how um, do you want to go, George? What are your after-death plans? <laughs> well, uh, I, <laughs> I want to do the tree burial. I think the tree burial sounds great, where they put you in a little sack a under a tree and it grows up. There's like a Viking uh, funeral where you get like shot out of a cannon. Yeah, it, like an, no, it's I like an, you go in a raft boat. and you shoot it's it with a, a boat out in the water. Yeah, and you burn. Yeah, kind of like a yeah. cannon. Um, you think Vikings had cannons? <laughs> it's a great idea. Um, I want shot to into shoot space. Out of a cannon. I feel like that's like a I, burial. There, uh, just getting back to the movie for a second, but like even though these, <laughs> this is all great because the movie is so. A lot of things I want to talk about. Um, let me try to pick one real quick. Okay, Nicolas Cage comes along and is going to be in this movie. Tell me how you guys get this script to Nicolas Cage. Tell me what pants. Just shit. <laughs> I mean, I would. He's. I think he's one of the, and I think this movie is a testament to it. He's one of the most fascinating to watch actors of all time, and you guys absolutely get the most like. It's just a beautiful combination of his talent 
the story, the way you tell the story visually through just his face, the understatedness, the way all these things you talked about with like being torn apart, explosiveness underneath with an actor who's so capable of blowing up, you know, it's amazing. But I got to know like what, like, how'd you get it to him? Did you think of him? Were you writing with people in mind? Like, tell me about for, for, for filmmakers to know, like it's a dream come true, obviously, but like, yeah, tell tell me about that part of it. So we actually started through WME, his agency. Did you guys have reps? Did you have a rep who brought you to WME? How'd you get the door in the door at WME? To fight? Our, our manager, and we share a manager, Michael Diamond, who's over at David Schiff's company, MGMT, an amazing manager, sent the script to an agent, Joe Austin, who was at WME at the time. He read the script, really responded to the material, and to his credit, really championed the script at the agency. It wound up on Cage's desk, so to speak, and in the hands of yeah. his people. And it was like this immediate love affair that he had with the material where he just saw the poetry of it and saw an opportunity for himself to give this really intensely introspective performance and really show his dramatic heft. And honestly, like that in a way was one of the more seamless parts of the process. Everything else was incredibly protracted, incredibly challenging. We had all sorts of issues with financing. There was a period of time where a huge part of our equity dropped out and we almost lost the film and it was a bunch oh, of- Oh man. So it really- Crazy was- for that to happen once you already like clear these hurdles of like just getting a feature script done that people like is huge. Getting it to WME and people are excited. Getting Nicolas Cage to read it and be like, I definitely want to do this. And to think that there's still- Places where you can run up against these walls is crazy. Like, well, that's what yeah. I think for the people who are listening to this that are trying to get that first feature off the ground, which sounds like that's the bulk of your your audience is like aspiring filmmakers. Like the most important thing in this whole process is this like balls to the wall tenacity and just an unwillingness to compromise and unwillingness to say this movie is not going to be seen to fruition. It just has to feel like you have a story that necessitates telling. And so again, it all starts with the script. And if you have a great piece of material and you believe in it, just, you know, force it through the door and make it happen. Will it to be, you can. Yeah, and the, the, uh, and, and, and I think the first step of the process was getting that manager that that's a huge, I mean, speaking to kind of young filmmakers, Finding someone who, who wants to back you up as a manager is a big deal because that's that person that's going to be able to actually take the script out to people. And for us, that really happened because of both the testimony, that documentary, and then we had a spec script that we had written together. And sort of those things combined finally got this manager who who just, you know, he's kind of, they're kind of the first person that gives you a chance. And and finding someone that believes in you and is interested in you is 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 a big deal. And and even that is hard to do. But if there's ask your friends if they know a manager and try and get them something. And yeah, once to the documentary, that was something that, I mean, it was literally Michael and I in the trenches. So we didn't have, we had very little money to make that doc. I mean, I shot the film myself. Michael edited it in Adobe Premiere. Like we- What'd you shoot it on? I shot it uh, on- I- I shot it on a Canon C100 and then I had a 5D Mark III as my backup camera. But I mean, we were spending like- you know, long nights in Michael's really shitty studio apartment at the time. What? It was a shitty one bedroom apartment. There were cockroaches. It was bad, but we were cutting the stock and we knew that we had created shows. So there was nothing glamorous about this whatsoever, but we knew. Have we you moved a- Michael since then? <laughs> I live in a slightly less shitty one bedroom. There aren't nearly as many cockroaches. Uh, and the ones that there are are more friendly. So it's, it's fine. 
So when you were writing this, I, I want to go back to the writing of this character. The first nine minutes of, this, of the finished movie, there's no dialogue, but we learn a lot. There's this great way you guys peel back layers that we reveal things like at a certain point, his name is revealed and everybody in the world is impressed. And I love the magic of that because as an audience goer, you're like, I kind of feel impressed, even though this isn't even a real person. Like I kind of want to Google him now and find out what he did. Like the world building was so strong. Did you write it with talent in mind? And once it was Nicolas Cage, did the writing change? And, and then the, I just one more thing to tack onto that. Tell me about like working with Nicolas Cage on set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it wasn't written with anyone in mind, really. I, I, I don't I don't think I've ever written stuff in that way. I mean, maybe someday I will. But, you know, because I, I don't want to have to lean on that image of a person. So kind of constructing a character that feels fully fleshed out in my own head. Then on top of that, if you bring an actor on, it's just going to bring even more to it. So so that was kind of how I approached it. We really I like when someone suggested Nick, it was a fascinating suggestion. And the fact that he was into it was amazing. But um, and it kind of, you know, it, it sort of works out better than one could even hope um, mm-hmm. because of kind of the audience's relationship with him. And, and it, mm-hmm. it plays into the themes of the story really well. So that that just worked out great. But it was never really planned. I mean, I also, you know, this was mm-hmm. my first feature script that got produced. So I wasn't even dreaming of like attaching anyone in specific. I was just kind of like, <laughs> right. who will do this. Michael um, was originally going to play the character of Rob. Yeah, I was going to play every character. Every character. Like, that, was the, that was the first plan. He was going to even yeah. play the pig at one point. The pig we, could be a puppet if you did it that way. You know? Like, that's I don't true. Know. That's true. <laughs> um, but no, so I mean, it wasn't it wasn't planned. It just worked out beautifully. And then, and then working with Nick, I mean, it was kind of that same thing where he just, it, it all kind of came back to the script. It, it was such a specific, strange script that people either loved it or didn't get it and didn't want to talk about it. And, and thankfully Nick was one of those people that, that loved it and just really got it. I remember sitting down um, to lunch with him and there just, there like, wasn't even that much to say. We just kind of went through a few details and talked about the character a little bit and I wasn't having to convince him or explain things. He just, it was kind of there on the page and he had life stuff that he could bring to it. And then that carried over onto set and he, he didn't need a lot of coaching. It was just, he just was really kind of embodying it and, he really felt it and tapped into it and understood it. And he, he really, he's, he's very professional. So he really respects the material. Like he really knows the script. He has the entire thing memorized action lines included. And, and he just, you know, he just embodies it as best he can and, and his well, best so, is incredible. Um, so it works out. Alex Wolf in the supporting role. He was, so we saw him originally, the way that we, we knew of him was through his performance in hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, was like I remember talking to you about him early in the process. Like he was, he was our. He was in the lookbook. He was, he was in the lookbook. Oh wow! So you, yeah, that's kind of what I mean when I said like written for like when you built out those kind of pitches or lookbooks. Like so, you had him in mind. That's pretty stronger cool. idea of the Amir character. I mean, Alex Wolf was definitely my number one choice for Amir. But for Rob, there was just in the lookbook there was a sort of a smattering of images more reflective of the tone of the film than the particular actor. Like I think we had mm. pulled an image of Joaquin Phoenix from You Were Never Really Here, but you know, mm-hmm. these showcase, you know, beautiful shots with slightly grizzled looking men in them. But <laughs> Alex Wolf was, um, was, yeah, one of our first choices. And what was really fascinating to witness on set is his dynamic with Nick was, there's a real consistency between how he viewed Nick in real life and how the character saw Nick, mm. because Nick exists in these mythic proportions 
in real life and also as this sort of rock star superhero, if you will, type chef revisiting his past. And so Amir as a character and Alex Wolf as a, as a man both got to relate to Nick in those kind of larger than life, hyper-realistic terms. And then also to your earlier question about the world building, I think Portland, we have to discuss because we based everything in the script is, is based pretty much off of an actual location. And we took a number of scouting trips up to Portland during the writing process and before shooting, actually before we even had financing for the film to get a sense of the local flavor, the texture of the place, visually what what there was to offer, the culinary scene. We met with restaurateurs and we met with chefs, truffle hunters. So it it yeah, it feels it, so. Uh, it feels like a more like a complete honest picture of a place that I knew about but I didn't know about. Like it almost like you you built something there that I guess exists but I didn't know existed. But it, either way, it does it doesn't really matter almost because it's so true to itself. You know, and I think that that what you're saying explains why you guys were researching and embedding in it. Grounding that realism enabled us to push the envelope into some more hyper-realistic kind of magical spaces because the whole film unfolds like a fable um, and it wouldn't work if we weren't able to tether it to something that was very true. The things you're talking about are the ways that like I think you link the world but you also link the character to the performer. So like, you're right. Nicolas Cage's presence as a Nicolas Cage ends up informing the way that the, that the world reacts to the character, et cetera. But tell me more. Yeah. About Portland and about camera choices and like lighting choices, like, because I want to hear a little bit about that and like what you shot on, but yeah, go, go ahead and, and add whatever you're going to. Yeah. I think, I think uh, jumping off what Vanessa said, and this is kind of, this might sound boring, but it's kind of advice to young filmmakers you know, we, we did do a, it, a movie never feels real until it's done. And, and part of that is just that, you know, you're constantly trying to create this thing. And part of it's that it can fall apart at any moment in the same way that it can come together at any moment. And that's kind of what's exciting and also very frustrating about it. And, and so all the little things you can do to make producers and financiers and everyone feel like it's real is, is really useful. And, and I don't mean in like a phony way. I mean that, you know, Practice your Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator skills so that you can put together a lookbook and a reference book that really conveys something that that shows like, oh, this isn't just a bunch of random pictures. Like this is telling a story. And this is, you know, people would, I'm not saying our reference book was that amazing, but like people would read the reference book and be like, oh, I, I get it. Like this suddenly, this is all kind of clicking. And then, you know, even when people say you don't have financing yet, there's no point in going to do a location scout go up to the place and start making relationships with local crew. We let our, we met our line producer up in Portland on one of our first trips up there, just through a mutual friend. We all got coffee and, and they ended up being the person that was really our in, in the Portland film scene. So when you can start going to financiers and saying like, here are actual locations and we've spoken to the restaurant owners and we've spoken to the local crew. It, it's suddenly not that you're tricking them, but suddenly it's like, Oh, there's something tangible here. Like this is, this is moving along. And then you're mm. kind of just finding every excuse you can to create some sort of momentum around something. Yeah, um, and we found that very helpful. At the risk of sounding like a new age millennial, literally manifest your movie. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, true. it's actually true though, because you know, you'd be surprised how much you can do with no money. And people are very excited about the idea of participating in a film. So just be bold and like walk into a business and be like, hey, we're interested in shooting here. You know, here's what maybe we could do for you. You know, can you offer us a location at, at a better price? And, and you'd be surprised how often people want to participate in that. 
Vanessa, and it definitely I, helps. Oh, sorry. I feel like I was just going to ask: Is that like I could? I'm I'm one sensing, wondering, like how how much and how easily do you put on this producer hat? Because you, I can tell like your role, but like you know, you're involved creatively, but you were also like like when you guys are talking about scripts and ideas and stories and locations and maybe going up to Portland and like walking into businesses and just being like, Hey, we're going to make a movie, even though there's nothing yet really happening. Like that's like some real serious producer skill. <laughs> like, what do you do? Like take me through or, or educate me a little bit on the, how you manifest it that way through that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it just all comes down to passion. Like that's something that you can't fake and I would never go to somebody and, you know, masquerade as a, a passionate uh, producer of a film if I wasn't actually passionate about. So the step sort of in front of the passion mm. is really getting the material to a place where you feel like you can authentically go into a space and pitch the hell out of something and really speak from the heart in terms of your enthusiasm about telling the story. And I just think that authentic passion is so contagious and people want to be a part of that. And because it's real to you, it will feel real to them. So no, I just believed from the beginning. And again, it was a really tough road for us with the script. Like, I just don't want anyone to feel in any, like, we did not come to this from a place of having, you know, relationships or like, you know, there was no nepotism. Like it's important for people to know that as much as the film industry loves to present itself as this magical kingdom to which only like a few privileged people can have the key, fuck the key, like break the door <laughs> down. Like just, if you have a great story to tell, you can make a movie. And, you know, I think it's really also just important because if people don't feel that that access is possible, we continue to just get the same demographic of people making films, which is often very privileged, very white, frankly, often male, like people from all different walks of life deserve to have their stories told. I saw Michael's hand go up. <laughs> My very pale hand. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but the thing is that, I, I mean, you're speaking, something, speaking to something that's near and dear to us at No Film School in general, just like, opportunity there has to be more opportunity in the industry for more different kinds of voices but this story whoever is telling it this is a story you can tell the second it starts that you can feel the lookbook in in a way that it's like there was something so rooted in something real that like from every frame from every prop from every like you guys built something that you believed in like at every level and that i think people just get excited about that because it feels genuine and they're like oh that's that's the good stuff, you know? Barometer um, authenticity today is fucking sensitive. Like, I think that's one of the best things that, that's happened in the world. Like, people are much more capable at calling bullshit now than they were in the past. And it it's just, it's something that you can't fake. So it literally exists in the DNA of the film. And it's sort of magical to see that people are able to perceive that. And it sounds like people are really getting that from Pig. I just saw when I saw the trailer, I was like, before I knew I was going to do press with you guys, I was like, uh, oh my God, I'm seeing that movie. <laughs> just like that movie, whatever. I don't know what's going on in that movie, but I'm seeing that movie. And I knew so many people who had the same reaction um, because you can just feel you're like, this is different. This is honest. This is real. And so that's why I was, I really wanted to hear from you guys a little bit about like how you manifested it, like you said. I, with like one question or like a couple minutes left, I just want to know about the technical side. Like 
you know, what did you shoot on? And was that, how was that decision difficult or what dictated things like that? And, and being in Portland and limitations, like, you know, tell me just quickly, each of you just about like production nuts and bolts stuff that you might be able to notify note. Yeah. Well, we had, we had Pat Scola, who's just an incredible cinematographer and, you know, neither of us knew him beforehand, but we got a coffee with him and he was just another one of those people that kind of loved the script and just saw it as this kind of poem and and he just really got it. And, and, and he made, you know, this guy's shooting big commercials and stuff. So he made a lot of sacrifices to probably lose money on, on making this movie. I mean, he really like went out there, called in favors just because he really believed in it. Um, and, and we shot it on an Alexa mini and we, uh, you know, we had at one point talked about, we had this idea of shooting all of the forest stuff on film and all the mm. city stuff on digital, but very quickly the producers were like, Nope, we don't have the budget for that. <laughs> so you know, we we we, we record, but the said, other yeah, the not other that producer. producer yeah, said, nope. Um, and the I mean, the budget be, said nope. The, the, the budget. Be <laughs> yeah, uh, but but you know, we did other little things to try and differentiate those worlds, and and we also saw kind of all of these small worlds within the film as little microcosms within kind of a larger fable. So we tried to kind of bring a certain vibe to each space. Um, and yeah, I mean, Pat was just incredible. We shot the whole thing in 20 days and Very. we only had one set that we built and that was the cabin. And we built that in the middle of this state park and everything else was an actual location in Portland from mausoleums to restaurants to abandoned paper factories that had questionable chemicals all over the walls. Mm. Uh, and and so we, you know, we were moving a lot and doing it in a very short time frame. So Pat's ability to really use natural light and just move quickly and get something beautiful out of all those spaces was as valuable as Nick's ability to just nail it. And as yeah. Alex's yeah. ability to have this great synergy and, and doing it like, I mean, everyone just was really on point and able to make this happen in a, like, you know, 20 days isn't nothing. I mean, it, it's pretty quick considering you're moving the company a lot to, to go to different locations. So from somehow very, we managed it. From very early on. So Michael was talking about that first meeting we had with Pat. I think the thing that really sealed the deal for us with him as a cinematographer and spoiler, interestingly, he was actually the first cinematographer that we had an in-person meeting with. And after that meeting, we were just like, it's done. It's he's the mm. fit. And so he pitched to us the kidnapping scene as a oneer in a very similar fashion as we had envisioned it um, beforehand. It was kind of this like slightly kismet moment where it was like, wow, we, we are existing in the same brain right now. And it felt very cohesive, but you know, he just showed this ability just even in his reel. And I guess this speaks to the importance of reels, especially for cinematographers, because it's the only real window, oh, pun intended. It's the only real window into <laughs> Um, their work, but like he had this obvious ability to do something intensely naturalistic, almost portraiture, very painterly. But then also he had commercials that had this hyper-realistic flair uh, to them. And so he was just this amazing balance of those two things. And it was clear that he'd be able to work at a lower budget range. So for all those reasons, it was it was clear that he had to be the DP. I've been told we went over, but I God, I wish we could talk more. I would go on a long time if I could, but I'm really grateful to you guys for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, I love the movie and I'm excited for it. And next time you have next one, come back. <laughs> we'll awesome. talk again. Thank you so much. Good luck I'm with everything. To 
see our names on no film school. That's a big deal for me. I love you. That is, <laughs> that is such a compliment, but thank you. Yes, we're excited for it too. Thank you so much to Michael and Vanessa for coming on the podcast. Michael is a No Film School fan, of course, which just like I hope many of you are, maybe you'll be on the podcast one day talking to me about your movie. Let's hope. So thanks so much for listening and be sure to check out all these kinds of stories and more at nofilmschool.com. Like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. Send us questions at editor at nofilmschool.com for our weekly podcast episode, which is a news roundup and drops every Thursday. These interviews always drop on Tuesdays, pretty much, unless there's some strange stuff going on. Thanks again so much for listening. Mm -hmm.